Welcome to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Jem Rommel. This week we're listening in to a talk from Regret Etc., a Sydney-based artist, writer and DJ who works across various politics under an anti-capitalist framework. She spoke recently at the Romantica Social Centre in Sydney's Inner West on the topic of transliberalism and anti-violence politics. Regret outlines what transliberalism is and how transliberal politics prioritise the assimilation of suitable trans people into the capitalist state over and above more radical goals such as justice from the bottom up. Intersecting oppressions experienced by trans people along the lines of class, race, able-bodiedness and migrant status are ignored and pushed aside while the successful trans CEO, trans celebrity and new trans-friendly police division are paraded about to symbolise the new inclusive modern times. I've selected parts of Regret's talk which was much longer and accompanied by a slideshow of pictures. Please excuse the rattling of her fabulous array of bangles. Listen up and let's begin. So first, in talking about trans-liberalism, I was just going to give some basic definitions and histories to kind of ground it because the word liberal and liberalism means uh, like 30 different things and we use maybe five of them all the time. A liberal serving of something, the liberal party, liberal as in permissive, liberal as in classic political economy usage, neoliberalism, order liberalism, social liberalism, la-da-da-da-da. So I thought starting there might give people uh, grounding because the word liberalism can mean so many things. Um, Hopefully I don't get into too much arcane Marxist theory. (laughs) And then secondly, to move there then to talk about how trans-liberalism's anti-violence politics um, work using some of these recent events in Sydney um, from the Trans Anti-Violence Project, the Gender Centre and ACON has been running for a couple of years, from some of the stuff happening in Newtown around keep the Newtown viable, keep Newtown weird, and that kind of stuff, and the anti-violence politics of that, and then into the Trans Day Remembrance that just happened in Sydney, um, which, as some of you know, uh, was co-hosted and largely funded by the police, which is the first time that's happened, um, and they unveiled their own monument to trans oppression, um, so that one's juicy. Uh, <laughs> and from there, looking at how the police are increasingly using and appropriating trans anti-violence politics and our, our own activist understandings of police violence in the past and how to memorialise or, or activate that in politics um, to recuperate their own image as a benevolent institution. Um, And then particularly, if we get time, talking about how that is done using this this really interesting use of temporality in terms of how violence in the past is called up and then shelved again. So trans-liberalism, in a sense, um, I mean, we, we know some of the features of neoliberalism, like um, the attack on the welfare state, the social services, offshoring of production, new kind of cycles of primitive accumulation or... Uh, accumulation by dispossession um, uh, and stuff like that. And so burning through these definitions, 
in talking about transliberalism, in a sense we're talking about transliberalism and transliberalism under neoliberalism. Maybe I'm being really confusing. Um, but anyway, so to bring it all together, um, I thought we'd go on to say, like, what is transliberalism? And I've sort of written down a number of features uh, that I think, you know, transliberalism, which I, I consider the dominant form of transactivism in the global northwest at the moment, um, that dominates the media, that dominates uh, the academy, that dominates a lot of transactivism, um, um, is characterised by a transliberalist kind of stance. And so the features I've written down for transliberalism um, is that it reproduces homonormativity, which is um, a politics of, uh, that was identified in the 90s about gay assimilation um, with a kind of demobilised gay demographic and constituency focused on domesticity and consumption, good citizenship, private property, socio-economic privileges, um, rights and representation, um, and good queer subjects that are constructed through certain race, class, property norms, um, which we can guess what they are, um, class mobility, whiteness, monogamy, all of these things, um, and focuses on domestic intimacy, monogamous couples, and um, able-bodiedness as a way of stratifying queers as to which queers deserve representation and inclusion in the project of cap the capital state. Um, and so in a sense, transliberalism mirrors and extends or replicates homonormativity for trans people um, with its focus on rights and, and, you know, that we want access to Western capitalist society, um, centering the state as the giver of rights. Um, we want equality under neoliberalism, which is kind of impossible as neoliberalism produces and relies on social stratification and the production of like racialized class hierarchies to function and pay people different wages and stuff like that. Um, that we want to ask for this tolerance uh, in, in diversity and difference, uh, which is ensured by a kind of law and order policing and guarantees of safety and security from the state, um, a pro-prison analysis quite often. Um, and an interesting, and we see this a lot, maybe I'll get a slide happening, um, privileging uh, representation over redistribution. So saying that if we have trans people in the media, trans people in the army, in whatever, this will produce equality and this will produce a redistribution of wealth and a redistribution of life chances and whatever, and undo inequality. And, you know, Within this representational strategy, uh, there's a lot of sort of single-issue single politics that focus on trans rights and trans access and trans inclusion in labour markets and the state, um, and a downplaying or shelving or pushing away of migration, anti-prisons, um, lots of other issues, sex work, we could go on. Um, and a kind of fundamental belief that trans people have shared interests despite their class background, um, and that there's a unified kind of trans constituency and class, when in fact obviously it doesn't, there's a, it, it sort of functions with a stratification of class and gendered class and racialized class and poses an idea of class that's based on individual mobility and upward mobility and meritocracy. Um, and as I mentioned, there's like a, it, it often poses this kind of unmarked whiteness as the norm. Um, 
and kind of white understand or you know Victorian colonial understandings of gender, um, and in in a, in, a, in a strange way often uses um, trans people of colour and particularly trans women of colour as kind of examples of the dispossessed, which trans liberalism can fix by inclusion in capitalism. I mean, it's, it's, that's a harder one to explain, but it, it's this really strange relationship. Um, and it has all the kind of homo-nationalist stuff, which is kind of about how... Um, saying how certain cultures, countries, races, whatever, are more civilizationally backward, and therefore, because they don't treat trans or queer people as well as the liberal West, and justifying kind of uh, anti-terror warfare and... Um, endless war and uh, migration, like harsh migration laws and these kind of things. Pants and some stuff, shoes, pop a bow, blues clues. You're listening to Regret Etc. speaking at the Romantica Social Centre in Sydney. She's just been speaking about homo nationalism, wherein some populations are deemed as regressive or backwards due to how they treat sexuality and gender diverse people then justifying harsh migration policies against people from those countries and war. The next part will focus on anti-violence politics within trans-liberalism. I think trans-liberalist anti-violence politics has... It's a super super important, interesting and very contemporary, um, relevant phenomenon. Given that trans history and to an extent identity uh, is often rehearsed and based on these historical events of violence, from Stonewall to say Mardi Gras to the Compton's Cafeteria riots, and there's a whole set of these events that are all police violence events against trans populations of some kind. But what we see is there's a kind of consistent swing from this historical understanding of police violence and state violence into a kind of whitewashed memorialization of gay normativity or trans normativity um, that increasingly ceases to mean anything um, and often involves yeah, a real whitewashing. People know about the whitewashing of Stonewall um, and a class kind of erasure of certain things. And also like this interesting, which is the focus of what I'll come to later, this interesting way that it permits the police to recuperate themselves um, as well, but violence is very. I think these uh, these instances of police violence and violence more generally is very central to the construction of a trans subjectivity and a trans identity and populations. Like our key event of the year is Trans Day of Remembrance, which is a mourning and memorialisation event of um, people killed or violence and oppression that function. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and so, in a sense, transphobia as it's popularly understood, is kind of constructed always in relation to a crime and punishment and state violence definition. Um, And that's like trans identity has this really interesting relationship to um, what a construction of crime and hate crime and um, how that draws a line around what is this population and what is this identity and um, produces, in a sense, one of the definitional things, uh, uh, definitional ideas of trans identity is almost this like wounded, injured subject, um, which I'll come back to again. Um, 
So, and I think, as may be obvious, there's a lot of misidentifications of what violence is um, in this kind of liberal politics. You have, and many of you probably know this stuff already, that there's this kind of individual perpetrator model. And so it often has these, you know, this bad person out there who has a bad multiculturalism or bad liberal tolerance um, is the location of violence. And that person is often located in populations which are racialized in the West, Westies, young men, you know, all of these kind of things. Um, and functions in that homo national sense as well, where there's whole civilizational, cultural groups where they are more violent towards trans people or whatever. Um, that's the kind of population level of this individual thing. Um, and if many of you probably saw some of the Keep Newtown Weird and Newtown Vibe stuff, some, I'm, I'm talking more about the stuff that was at the Newtown Neighbourhood Centre that was run by, say, ACON and um, the Newtown Business Association and some of this stuff around a trans woman um, getting beat up in Newtown. Um, a lot of the discourse there replicated this idea that these bad people were coming into Newtown from not Newtown, not white, not upwardly mobile, not couldn't afford to live there, but they're coming in and, 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 and causing us harm. And this is exceptional and new. It's not the harm of the police or the state or the rental market or all of these structural forms of violence. And this is what I guess I'm getting at, is that there's a central misapprehension of violence as bad individuals, not the violence of the state and capital. And, um, the production of those stratifications and stuff. Um, and of course there's like a colonial settler kind of homo-nationalist edge to that as well where um, those kind of genocidal violences in the past and present are also pushed away out of awareness using queer and trans tolerance like the state goes, we're, we're protecting these people and we can liberal multicultural western capitalist society can do so better than traditional societies or these um, uh, racialized populations. Um, there's also a focus within that kind of perpetrator violence on these kind of um, identifiable, legally prosecutable moments of violence where someone punches you and you can, they can be like taken to court. And that's another kind of misapprehension of what violence is and, um, and who violence is uh, committed by. Um, and throughout this kind of, you know, um, anti-violence politics, the, the state is positioned as a protector and um, rather than a main perpetrator, and there are calls for sort of police reform, which kind of shore up the, the role and the funding of police. And a kind of interesting disavowal of, of political violence. So if we were to resist or, or take, carry out violence, that would be seen as terroristic or hysterical, counterproductive. And so there's this really interesting way that political violence is also um, made kind of um, a bad thing. This is Earth Matters, produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast all across these stolen lands we call Australia on the Community Radio Network. Um, one of the interesting recent events that I wanted to like use as an example was, of course, the Sydney Trans Day of Remembrance that happened in mid-November last year, so just two months ago. Um, uh, and it was held next to the uh, Surrey Hills Police Station, like, on top of the fucking thing. Um, 
and was co-hosted by the New South Wales Police, the City of Sydney, and a couple of trans activist groups, in a sense, and some NGOs like the Gender Centre. Um, and um, this was the first time, in, in my knowledge, that the police have co-hosted and funded this kind of event. Since about what I can, what I can find, and in my experience, about 2008, 2007 was when the police started showing up to talk at the main Translative Remembrance event in Sydney that's held by the Gender Centre. So they would send Superintendent Tony Crandall along and he would give some, like, sappy fucking bullshit speech about how the police have been bad in the past but they're getting better. Um, but this is kind of a change in how the police are positioning themselves and how they're using um, this anti-violence politics or this memorialisation. And so, I mean, there's a lot of critiques of Translative Remembrance out there that are really good already how it produces uh, kind of... Because if you look at the Translative Remembrance website and all the uh, people on it who've been killed or committed suicide or whatever, there's this archive that is supposed to document all around the world. The, the vast majority are trans women of colour who are sex workers in the Global South, Brazil, largely. Um, and a lot of Translative Remembrance's events, like this one, in the um, Global North and West, function as a way of whitewashing that archive and producing this kind of white innocence, in a way. Um, so uh, we, uh, there was a bunch of people who, at the very last minute, got together an anti-protest, um, some of whom are here, um, like the night before, um, to at least bring a critical kind of something or interrupt it somewhat and um, um, talk about police violence. Um, so throughout, there was, there was, those concepts of violence were constantly reiterated by police and NGO speakers. The uh, individual perpetrator kind of stuff, the state as benevolent, um, and that time thing where this is a form of progress that you need to come to the table on, and if you don't, uh, you're resisting positive change. The uh, people from the Gender Centre actually came over to some of the protesters and used those exact kind of lines to be like, things are better now, you don't know how bad it was in the past, to try and say, you shouldn't be protesting this. This is a positive, this is modernity in action. Um, and interestingly, um, this, the next photos I'm going to show are of the monument that the police unveiled um, uh, to memorialise trans oppression. Um, I thought what was interesting as well is the police had kind of sideswiped this, the major event of the trans year, in a sense, and were using the sacredness of the memorialising death and tragedy and suicide um, to stop people critiquing it. And that was also something that some of the protesters encountered, was this, like, oh, you shouldn't be here because you're taking away from the sacredness of this event. Right, And the police are actively, I think, using that sacredness, trans-sacredness, whatever. It's a bad word, but it's something. Um, to stop critique. And the NGOs, like the Gender Centre, also said and used that kind of stuff. And I felt like, in a sense, even though this little action was very last minute, there was a real lack of people jumping on because people were, were really like, oh, shit, this is this trans-sacred event. We don't know if we can show up and be critical of this. Like, whether or not that's because of 
the trauma or the sacredness or identity politics or, or all of these kind of things, but it was interesting. Um, so the NGOs and the state using this discourse of certain kinds of violence that I talked about before. So at the end of the event, they unveiled this monument. No one knew what it was, da-da-da-da-da. You're listening to Regret Etc., Sydney-based artist, DJ and writer. She's been speaking about an event held on the 2016 Trans Day of Remembrance, co-hosted and sponsored by the New South Wales Police for the first time. The police unveiled a new monument at the Surrey Hills Police Station, a stone plinth with a plaque memorialising past violence against trans people. A group of people organised a protest at the event. Let's get back to it. From this I started thinking a lot about police image work and, and, and the ways in which police are, become, are, are increasingly uh, doing this really deliberate image work to recuperate their legitimacy and take away negative uh, associations with them. And I was like, oh, so, you know, I, I had a couple of examples in mind, but what are ways, is this changing and is it on the rise? Um, and how do they do it? Like, how does the police produce this image beyond a monument and, a, and an event? How do they publicise that event? Where does it appear? How is it talked about? Um, and so, in looking more into that, I, and I encountered this years ago, I ran into the police media units, right? Which are these think tanks, essentially, <laughs> full of people on computers, cops, or, or whoever they employ, um, who produce news stories and send them to the... Um, they send them or are asked for by journalists or whatever. They pump this shit out. And there's, in the last few years, there's been a like, massive rise in the size, um, number, and output of these media units, right? And there's some interesting studies out there that show, that study what gets reported in all the major newspapers and how it does or doesn't differ from the output of these police me- um, media units. And they generally find that about 70% of what's reported in all the major newspapers is almost verbatim what these units put out, right? So people who aren't experiencing police violence or state violence directly, and that's most of the like conservative population that we're like, trying to deal with, who get their information about police through the media, are getting what the police say about themselves, like almost directly. And so it's a kind of really interesting, like, symbolic battle that we're in at the moment with this kind of police activism, image activism in a way, um, that I'd argue, I mean, I feel like I'm losing. Maybe we are losing, I don't know. <laughs> um, so to finish off, I thought I would talk about, again, coming back to that time thing that I'm talking about. Um, so in that the police are kind of appropriating the way we understand ourselves and our understandings of their violence, they're going, yeah, we did that violence, we are bad, these are your monuments, we'll just use them too. Um, um, and again, at Transgender Day Remembrance, there was this constant reiteration of this past-present difference and this progress narrative. Um, so they, they're sort of using the past to be, to pose themselves as modern and adaptive, um, in a, in a way that they're not just going, we never did that. that, that doesn't exist. Which is kind of, a, I would say, like the way they used to do it. 
like that never happened, we didn't do it, let's not talk about it. Now they're like, let's talk about it heaps. Let's talk about we beat up those gay people. Let's fucking have pictures of it. Let's fucking make a conference. Let's like get obsessed, you know. Um, so they bring, they, they recall this stuff into the present, but then really quickly, like immediately, push it back into their own past and differentiate themselves from it. Um, and go, this is, this is not and can't be how we work currently. Um, you know, so they're, they're kind of portraying themselves as modernity or post-modernity in motion. Um, and I think, and I've, I've said little bits about this before, I think what it does to um, non-trans liberalist trans activism or trans activism or politics that has, and many forms of activism, that have an understanding of state violence as the key violence or as real violence rather than an individual, all of these things, hate crimes, that are the understanding of violence. What it does is that it positions us in the past, right? We can't come to the table with this modernity in motion. We can't be part of this progress. And therefore, we have bad faith. We're regressive. Um, we're too traumatised to move on. And there's a lot of this talking move on in trans politics and stuff. Um, the Gender Centre, again, we're telling us that as protesters. No, you've just got to like trust them and move on. The distrust is abject. Like, it's bad, it's poisonous, it's a bit psychopathological. Um, you're not successful enough. You're still mired in, in historic trauma. Um, we should be grateful for these people who are now allegedly extending tolerance to us. Um, yeah, and so there's this way in which to massively generalise um, over time, I think, the idea of queers and trans people as being unmodern or anti-modern or hypermodern has flipped back and forth. Um, so whether uh, we are celebrated as icons of liberal inclusion and therefore like kind of from the future of its own becoming um, has flipped back and forth. And now I think in a way with a lot of this, trans people are being produced as like hypermodern. Like we are the future of liberal democracy and its own echo chamber way of talking about itself and presenting itself and justifying its continuity and the continuity of this particular form of really violent capital and all that comes with it. That was Regret Etc., Sydney-based DJ, writer and artist speaking about transliberalism and anti-violence politics at the Romantica Social Centre during the Rad Queer Fest, January 2017. You can find out more and get in touch with her via her page on Facebook by searching for Regret Etc. This has been Earth Matters, produced at 3CR Radio and broadcast all across these stolen lands we call Australia. We'd like to thank the good folk at the Community Radio Network for getting this show out to you, our listeners, and the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support. I'm Jem Rommeld, and the music you've heard on this show is from The Blaze and Princess Nokia. You can get in touch with us by emailing earthmatters.3cr at gmail.com. You can call up the station on 03 9419 or you can find us through our Facebook page. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for another episode of Earth Matters.
Global Intifada, bringing you current affairs through revolutionary and protest music from around the world. Every Thursday afternoon from 5 till 6 on 3CR. Because music is our bomb. <laughs> 